No. Uh, you can release your kids to children's shirts if you have them this morning. Uh, gather around while we uh, watch our Creed video this morning.
testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony this morning. Show some love.
Well, good morning, family of faith. Good morning, family of faith. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. How many of y'all are glad you're here this morning? Anybody? So be praying. We have a handful of people that are sick and all that stuff. So please be praying for them. Just that time of year, we'll get through it. Amen? All right. So tithe and offering, if you have uh, your tithe and offering uh, prepared, get that ready. Uh, if you need an offering envelope, they're in the chair in front of you. Or you can wave your hand around, and uh, one of these uh, great ushers will help you out. But I'm glad you're here. As we give this morning, we believe in uh, the faithfulness and the provision of God, that God will always be our provider. How many of y'all believe that? Amen. All right. Let me, let me pray over it. If you have something, you can bring it down this morning. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful provision for, for so many times, Lord, that you showed up in a way that only could have been you. And you've always proved yourself faithful because it's who you are. It's the, it's the character of a God who is always there, who never leaves, who never forsakes but does everything that he always says he will do. And I, I believe in that. And I thank you, Lord, for the provision for my life, for the lives of, of those in this church, Lord. And I, I pray, Lord, that, that we give in, in the abundance of the gratitude of our hearts in our understanding of who you are and what you do. And I pray that it's a continual revelation in our life, that we're always discovering who you are and, and the, 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 the wonderful abundance of your grace and your mercy and the things you do for your children. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If you have something, you can bring it. Some announcements real quick while we're doing that. Don't forget uh, prayer every Monday night from 6 to 7, so that's tomorrow night. Uh, we, we are a church who prays, so come join us in corporate church-wide prayer. Uh, the second part of our marriage nights is this Friday from 7 to 9. And I think we had fun this past Friday. I thought it was productive. So we're going to be back again. And uh, if nothing else, the food was good. So anyhow, um, good, good snacks, right? Um, Tish does a great job. And all those who help her do that. So that's this Friday from 7 to 9. Um, next thing is don't forget that we're continuing our series in the book of Revelation this Wednesday night. And Wednesday night, we're actually going to get into the seven churches of which the book of Revelation is addressed to and, and some things about those churches. Um, and don't forget, we're in the midst of our 21-day challenge of, of each day reading the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So I encourage you to take time each day to do that, whether that is your time in the Word or uh, uh, in addition to your time in the Word. Um, it's just something that I, I feel that we need to get into our heart is the longest uh, continual teaching recorded in Scripture of Jesus. And there's a whole lot there, a whole lot to settle in on your, on your mind and your heart. So please be a part of that. And I think, what is today's date? 13th. So uh, I think we're a week into it. So a couple more weeks of that. So other than that, that's all I have for announcements. So if you've got your Bibles, get them out. I'm looking forward to the Word today. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. Uh, the wonderful media crew will throw it up on the screen for us as we're going. So go to Luke chapter number 10. If you have your Bibles, turn there or got your phone, jump there, whatever you use. Luke chapter number 10. Um, second week of a series entitled The Neighborhood. 
the neighborhood. This has to do with people. How many know that, that every person is made in the image of God? How many know that? That means something. And uh, won't specifically hit that today. That may be something that we get into a little bit next week. We are people that are striving to live a biblically-centered life. Is that correct? Um, in other words, in other words, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So, so to live a biblically-centered life, so this is the Word of God. But Jesus is the Word of God. This is the testimony to Jesus, ultimately. Amen? So to live a biblically-centered life means that, that, that in our context today, in the New Covenant, that we are learning to live the Jesus way. What does it mean to follow Jesus? So there's different ways the Bible will bring that up. In other words, uh, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Right? Uh, what does it mean to live the resurrected life? I, I know we're going to be bodily resurrected, but you have been resurrected here, have you not? New creation. So what does it mean to live that out? Here, here's what I know. Is that... Uh, I hear people say a lot, you've got to live according to what the Bible says. If Jesus said it, you need to live it. You ever say something like that? But then when we really get to brass tacks, the stuff Jesus said, then we go, okay, I get that. But in this situation, and then, then, then somebody that's a, that's a smart aleck reminds but you said, right, you know what I mean? We, we somehow have to remind ourselves about stuff we say. You should live a biblically-centered life. Well, amen. But then when we get into what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we're confronted with things that aren't always easy. So what are we going to do? Are we going to take the word and roll it over into what's not easy in our life and deal with it? Or are we going to let the word form and shape us and change us even when it's not easy? Now, when it comes to the neighborhood, this comes up a little bit. So, Jesus is asked a question, and we kind of jumped into this before we went to back to Matthew 22, but he's asked a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And based on what happened in that interaction, then the question was, well, who is my neighbor? You, you think about that. Jesus is asked by somebody, we're going to read it in a second, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked the question, he gets a response, and that turns... Inheriting eternal life went right to immediately, well, who's my neighbor? You think about that connection there, that's pretty big, right? So Luke chapter 10, and let's start in verse 23. We're actually going to pick up before that little narrative. Luke 10, 23, he says, Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are, those, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus himself. They're longing for the one to come. But, but even on a bigger scale than that, they're looking for the kingdom of God. 
They, they were desiring the arrival of the kingdom and the one who was to come to set it right. They were, they were prophesying about the kings, were looking for it, but they did not see it in their time. But here Jesus is, and he's inaugurating the kingdom, and he's saying, look, you all are seeing it right now. All the things that ancients wanted to see and desired to see, you're seeing happening in your midst. What does it mean to do? How is it changing you? Are you really catching it? Okay. And, and this leads into this thing that, uh, go to verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, which they were always trying to do. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? As Jesus often does, he, he replies with question. Jesus, listen, Jesus doesn't always directly tell you everything you want to know. He will often respond in such a way to kind of drive you in deeper. Often if you just get everything you want to know right away, then you're just satisfied. That's all the digging you do. you got, you got to keep digging. Jesus is, is, is challenging us to keep digging. So uh, here's the response. He said, he said to them, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the, the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So how do I inherit eternal life? Learn how to love right. Now, you are saved because you have cried out to Jesus, Right? You, you're saved. But, but it's kind of like this. So you got, you got the, um, the crucifixion scene, right? And you have, you have those that were crucified with him. Remember, remember the one asked him to be with him in paradise and Jesus grants it to him? That, that, that person with Jesus in paradise. Done deal. He asked. But see, the difference now is this. Y'all are living life. And... We have a life to live in front of us. We've been saved. We've cried out, whatever it was, a repentance, it was a, a salvation cry, whatever it was that brought salvation to you. But you, unlike that one that was going to be dead not long after that, you now have a life to live. Now what? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Cry out to him, but if you have a life to live in front of you, now what's it mean to follow Jesus, be a disciple, be a citizen of the kingdom? What's it mean to live resurrected life? How do you read the law? Well, sum up the entire thing. Love God with all of your being, and in turn, then love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, yep. As a matter of fact, do that, and you'll live. So if you want to live in a way of inheritance of eternal life, you got to learn how to love right. That's the key right there. Learn how to love right. Now, now when, when Jesus is asked this, in, and it's recorded in the book of Matthew, he said, and this sums up the law and the prophets. You know there's another place he said that uh, in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. He, he sums up the law and the prophets, everything they were hoping for, everything they were wanting to see, everything they were speaking towards. He says, love God with everything you have, 
love your neighbors yourself. Do to other people as you would have them do to you. That sums up everything that they were trying to get at. That is the kingdom life now before the kingdom comes in its fullness. See, what the law and the prophets were doing was to set a part of people of God for his own. To begin to build a society of people who worshipped him and lived justly. The law showed them their sin but then pointed to a better way. And the prophets simply reminded them of this. When these two commands sum up the law and the prophets, it means that the framework for living the kingdom life, to be a disciple, the Christian life, can be summed up in loving God and loving neighbor. Right there. Now, now, as we often do, the lawyer knew the law, right? He he wasn't ignorant of it. He actually summed it up perfectly in his response to Jesus. He knew. But yet, the lawyer would have said, just like we say, you need to live by the word of God. You need to do what it says, right? But watch what the lawyer does then. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? What must I do in an inherent eternal life? Learn how to love right. But wait a second. This whole business of loving my neighbor as myself, who actually is my neighbor? Who's really in the neighborhood? Who is it that I really need to know and learn how to love? Here's the essence of the kingdom life. Um, Again, we often find ourselves in a place where we want to justify what we understand and come into to revelation of what it means to live the Christian life, but then come up with a lot of hypotheticals of why we don't need to do it. Right? Thou shalt not kill. But, but you're going to tell me a lot of reasons why you're going to justify that it's okay to do so. Okay. But just understand that your justification better stand up before a righteous righteous God or you'll be judged for it. So, so I would rather approach it this way than try to squeak in and, and hope everything I do lines up. You know what I mean? So you look at things like that. So now we knew it. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, so here, here's this here's this situation and here's this and what, what about war and all this. And you start asking all these questions and you don't always get a straight answer from him. He's going to drive you in to keep digging about his nature. And every time you come up with a reason why it's okay, then, then, then that may not later on settle, and you think, oh, man, i got to think about it. i got to pray about that again. i got to get back in the word about that again. And he, he keeps driving you in. So, some answers are not always easy, but you got to keep wrestling with him about stuff, right? So the, so the neighborhood is a place that we must learn how to love and Often when we start to justify ourselves or start to ask questions, Jesus again starts to respond in a way that again doesn't tell it straight out but tries to draw you into his story a little bit. So who is my neighbor? He tells a parable. Now, uh, this parable, I'll I'll give you the players of the parable. Here's the, the cast of characters of what's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. You have, you have a, a certain man, a man who's going somewhere, most likely a Jewish man, 
He was robbed and beat and left on the side of the road for dead. Okay? Then the next character of the story is a, is a priest. And, and, of course, this, again, is a, a religious uh, a Jew. A priest served in the temple. Then the next player, the next character of the parable is, is a Levite. And, and the Levites um, assisted in the maintenance of temple services and the order of those services. Again, another religious Jew. And, of course, the last person of the story is the Samaritan who turns out to be the hero of the story. Now, the thing about Jews and Samaritans, they were enemies. They were kind of like arch rivals. Um, they had a contentious relationship. They did not interact much. As a matter of fact, a Jew could become unclean by interacting with the Samaritan, according to custom. Um, uh, they, they both claimed to have the dibs on proper worship. They were at odds about what that meant. But Jews and Samaritans didn't get along and they were enemies. Now, here's the thing about this story. You got, you got most likely a Jewish man who's beat and robbed and left for dead. A, a priest passes by. A Levite passes by. Religious uh, uh, people in the Jewish customs. And you have, that, you have the enemy, the Samaritan, come by and does what's right. Jesus makes the enemy the hero of the story. It's one of the reasons why they didn't like him. He was always digging at them with this stuff to get them to think and grasp. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me say this. You can become so religious in your thinking and your actions and to justify yourself so much that really those who you consider enemies are acting more like God than you are. And that's the case of this story. The enemy of the Jewish people, the Samaritan, was the one who acted like God while the religious people just passed it by because they justified why they didn't need to stop and help. Think about that. So let's read the story. Here's the parable. Verse 29, let's jump start there again. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. By the way, it was about a 17-mile journey. Very hilly, very rocky. As a matter of fact, it was a place known for people to get robbed there. So he, he was not taking some out here kind of story. He brought it to a, a context that they would know. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and he saw him, and he passed on the other side. So here's this man. He, he's, he's beaten, left for dead, laying here. And here comes the priest, the religious leader, sees him and goes to the other side of the street to keep walking. Think about that. Let's keep going. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, and saw him, again, same story, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring out oil and wine, and, and set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus tells this parable, then he asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Now, again, the context. So who is my neighbor? Now, the Samaritan did not know him. Oh, my gosh, that's my buddy Bill. Let me go help Bill out. This guy laying on the side of the road was an absolute stranger. Often we think when it comes to my neighborhood, my neighbors are my neighbors, and I know my neighbors, so I love the people that I know. But in that, the ones I know, I get to choose who I love because I choose who I want to interact with. Right? But this guy was an absolute stranger to the Samaritan. He would have noticed somehow this guy was Jewish. This is not a friendly relation. Enemies in custom, in worship, in attitude, in interaction. And he went out of his way, gathered the man up, took care of some things there, put him on his animal, took him to a place of, of, of staying, paid for him to be there, and said, by the way, any more cost this incurs on my way back, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pay for what you have to do beyond what this is going to take care of. Two religious guys totally passed by. The story doesn't say that Samaritan was religious at all. Didn't qualify him. And of a high standing in the religious order of the Samaritan worship practice. This is a guy that was journeying. Listen, he was going somewhere with some business. He had a plan. He was on a mission. He was taking care of something. You know how easy it is? When you're busy to go on the other side of the street and, and keep going by. So I, I, heard, I was reading a book one time years and years ago. I don't remember the name of the book, all the context of it. But it told a story about some guys in seminary. These are guys that are, guys that are after higher education of the Bible, okay? Good thing if you want to do that. Nothing wrong with that. But they told them to break down the parable of the Good Samaritan and go give a presentation about it. And they scheduled them on different days to do it, okay? And so wherever this place was, it was in walking distance to where the, the presentation was going to be, close to the, uh, the place to stay for the, those in the seminary. And however they worked, and I, I'd have to remember to read the story, but they, they set it up in such a way that on their way, they placed a guy that looked like he was homeless, sitting there, kind of bunched up in an alley. I don't remember how many guys it was. They were going, seminarians, going to present a, a, a presentation on the story of the Good Samaritan and the theological implications of it, and all the ones that did it, only one stopped to say something to the guy and see if he needed help. The rest of them just trucked right by and went and gave their presentation on the Good Samaritan. Okay. We say, we say that we should do what the Bible says and listen to the words of Jesus and all these different kind of things. But do you really believe that what he says is the best way? Or is that just a nice religious thing we say because we call ourselves Christians? Do you really believe it? 
And when we talk about living, listen, Christianity is a participation life. It's not just what you think and believe. It is participation. Do you believe it enough that it changes how you live? Well, it's just a nice story. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Now, we say that. I love my neighbor, and we think it's such a big context, we never do anything to apply it. You know what I mean? Do we really believe it in such a way that it changes our participation of life? When we say we're learning to live, we don't say we're learning to think the Jesus way. We should. But we're learning to do what? Live the Jesus way together. This is life application. How do I inherit eternal life? Well, who's your neighbor? And see, see how it connects right there. Well, who's my neighbor? It's, this is often what we do sometimes as Christians. We, we, we do something like this. So you got, you got the guy on the side of the road eating and bruised, and we see him, and, and we kind of, but, but then we're still going to be religious about it. I pray for you. You got this. No worries, you'll get there. I believe God can do anything. He's going to help you. He's going to raise you up. He's going to heal you. He's going to get you back on your feet financially, restore all the stuff that was stored, and God restores what you lost in all those messages we preach. But God will do it. I'll see you later. Now, you should pray for each other. But if you have a means to live your prayer, then we ought to start living our prayer instead of just praying. Now, maybe you don't have money to put them in, a, in, a, in an end. That, that could be the case. Okay. But maybe you could have helped them get there. Maybe you didn't have an animal to throw them on. But you could have helped him back up on his feet and tend to him for a few moments. You see what I mean? What, what, what can you do? You see? But, but, but sometimes it, it, goes, it goes more like this. So, so again, it's over there, and here, here I come. But, but before I pass by, I take a, a closer look. Oh, I don't know him. And, and we keep on walking. Or, or it's like, oh, you don't go to my church, and, and, and we keep on walking. Oh, I'm white, you're black, I'm going to keep on walking. Oh, you know what, uh, you look like you're dirty, unkept, probably homeless. Oh, I'm going to keep on walking. Or, or, or it's, uh, it's, oh, I do recognize you, and you are my enemy. You're just getting what you deserve. Reap what you sow, sucker. I'm going I'm to I'm keep on going. You see what I'm saying? See, we often will we'll try to get a closer look and then try to justify some reason why we don't need to do anything and not help. Oh, here, here's another one. Here's another one. Let's say I'm Republican. Oh, you're a Democrat.